And there are 750 million transactions processed every day. Let that number sink in. Across ATMs, self-checkout machines, and online payments, NCR, through both hardware and software infrastructure, is helping you check out faster. We already have tap-to-pay credit cards and payment-synced watches. So is there a way for transactions to actually get more seamless? And can creating that more effortless experience actually save you money? Tim Vanderham, CTO and SVP at NCR, says it's not that unrealistic. We're going on this notion of frictionless, passive, and then us as consumers sharing our data where we want to share it so that we get benefits from it in our daily lives. If you're not a banked individual, but you start thinking about what's happening with decentralized finance around cryptocurrencies and blockchain, I can start to leverage that data in ways that I can ask for loans from my financial institution when I'm making larger purchases. It also gives me a way to save an extra $500 for a week. In 2021, data is precious currency, especially when you're a company that moves hundreds of billions of data points at a time. On this episode of IT Visionaries, Tim provides a new outlook on the future of your transactions. Tim also goes into how NCR, a company established in 1884, is going through its own digital transformation to deliver customers the interactions with brands they desire. Enjoy this episode. IT Visionaries is created by the team at mission.org and brought to you by Salesforce Platform the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Innovate fast, empower every employee, and scale with confidence from anywhere with a customer at the center of everything you do. Learn more at salesforce.com platform. Welcome everyone to another episode of IT Visionaries. And today we have the CTO and the SVP of software at NCR Corporation, Tim Vanderham. Tim, welcome to the show. Hey, Albert. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. All right. Right out the gate, we were talking a little bit earlier. I believe NCR has 100% market penetration in the United States. But for someone who doesn't know, can you please explain what is NCR and what do you guys do? You know, it's funny, Albert. Uh, we often ask that question to people when we're speaking at uh, giving presentations and speaking to customers of how do you view NCR? And we've got this view of a demographic that knows NCR as the brass cash register or ATMs, or self-checkout machines, or devices where you swipe your credit card. But we're so much more than that. Uh, But there's a whole demographic of a younger generation that doesn't even know what we're doing around um, how they interact with us. ATMs, ITMs, digital banking platforms, uh, restaurant software, retail software, self-checkout. And so, well, there's a lot of hardware and people would generally see our logo on hardware. There's so much software behind that. And that's really what we're doing. So we're in this huge transformation from where we were, 135-year-old company, doing a bunch of hardware, slowly getting into software, to now really focusing on a digital transformation and delivering software that consumers interact with, which yeah. your words, not mine, 100% penetration uh, in the US. <laughs> yeah. So if, if you guys aren't aware, when you go to buy groceries and you go self-checkout, that scale, that self-checkout, it's an NCR machine. If you go to an ATM to pull cash out, it's an NCR machine. A lot of the contactless terminals for wireless credit card payments or for uh, mobile pay is an NCR terminal. I believe I've even seen NCR at the uh, public transportation, the tokens and stuff to swipe in to pass the gates. I believe those are NCR controlled as well. I mean, 
NCR makes a lot of machines that do this. <laughs> yeah, we got a, we got a lot of machines that do that, and then a lot of software, like I said, behind it that processes all of that, um, leverages your identity, uh, lets you basically transact. I like to think about it as we allow consumers to transact every day. And fun fact: over 750 million transactions a day flow through our hardware and our software systems every day worldwide. 750 million transactions a day. That's how many. It's this mind-boggling number. But you know, it's actually, now that I'm thinking about it, that also shows you, I mean, it sounds insane. You probably have more room to grow. There's those 8 billion people on earth. There's like a lot of space to grow still. If, if 750 million is where you're at, it's like, 780 is where you're at, there's probably more room to grow. Yeah, no, we, we are actually growing. We, we see it uptick every day. We see the usage of our platform every day. And it's just more, more about getting our terminals and our software in the hands of consumers so that as they interact, we see it come through our systems. So- from your position, you know, at CTO, SVP, specifically software at NCR, I'm assuming you work on the programs that go in, not only into these machines, but you kind of said it a little earlier is that your software is starting to go beyond your, your, like your machine, meaning other people's hardware can run NCR software. Is that accurate? Is that where the future of the business is going? Well, it's all three. So our software runs on NCR hardware. Our software runs on non-NCR hardware. And most importantly, our software runs in the cloud. Okay. So when you start thinking about ordering your groceries online and having them delivered or uh, having them uh, picked up in the store, that could be our software that you're interacting with that's white labeled for your grocer. When you're ordering uh, Buffalo Wild Wings or you're ordering Firehouse Subs, uh, you know, you're using our platform. It then gets injected into the restaurant. So it shows up at your doorstep or you pick it up when you arrive at their store. Okay, so now I do remember working at a restaurant. I think our terminal was a micros terminal, but I remember the ticket system was like an NCR system, I think. Like all the like actual restaurant tickets where the chefs and stuff were picking out which food to cook, it was coming out of an NCR terminal. Yeah, they're using our kitchen controller system and our kitchen software. So yeah, so we've got a little bit of software and a little bit of hardware that runs literally everything in a bank, in a retail store, or in a restaurant. It's pretty awesome. All right, so talk about how that breadth of let's call them products or software products. I don't know. What do you guys call them over there? Products, lines of business, SKUs? Yeah, they're, they're products that, well, yeah. So we have three lines of business, right? Banking, retail, and hospitality, which is restaurants for us. We then have products that we sell into those lines of business. And those products are made up of software capabilities. So I try to break everything down to a capability so that I can reuse that capability, whether it runs in a kitchen or it runs in one of our cloud providers like Google Cloud Platform. I don't care. It's a capability that's offering the ability to a restaurant to do something or to a retail store or to a bank. Okay. So for a lot of big companies that are software driven, let's use like, I'll go with Shopify where it's a big platform. They maintain their platform. Of course they have other products and other divisions and of course, but they have a one principal core product. Is that how NCR works as a core product where every product is a derivative off of that? Or are you overseeing X amount of unique products? Yeah. So NCR was a 135 year old company came through acquisitions. Yeah. So I'd love to say that we're more like a cloud native startup, like, like Shopify, <laughs> where it's one thing and it's a bunch of derivatives. Yeah. It's not today. Now we're moving there. We're, we're, we're going there. Uh, I've been here almost three years and uh, I laugh about it because when I got here, I had a whole bunch of products. We've slowly started to bring those together into more common platform layers and common capabilities but we're still managing dozens, if not hundreds of products across those three lines of business. But the vision 
is to be a software platform company where we've got commonality, common, a common approach to how somebody does something, and then we can use it. I'll give you a great example. We have software in market today that allows a consumer or a small business owner to order money from their bank branch, have it left in a locker, and then pick it up off hours. Does that sound a little bit like ordering your groceries and picking it up after you're done with work or ordering your food on your way home from work? I'm already seeing the use case applications because I've traveled internationally before where you needed a currency exchange and but you had to time it based upon when the local bank branch was open. It was kind of it was kind of challenging. So this would allow me to exchange currency digitally seamlessly. Think about the way we ship currency today. Like if you were to order your currency in America from let's say Bank of America, it would be mailed to the location, you'd have to go pick it up during office hours. So you guys are just breaking down that really simple use case of something that many people do very often. Yeah, breaking down that barrier. And I used an example of a locker, so if it's a small business, but for like the consumer example that you just used, pre-stage it, we call it actually pre-stage in our banking platform. You pre-stage the transaction on your mobile device, that talks to your bank, and then it gives you a QR code to go scan at an ATM or an ITM, interactive teller machine is what ITM stands for, so that you can capture that and, and collect that money or do a deposit offline. So we're really trying to break down those I'll say existing barriers that have on, on how consumers interact every day to make it more digital, digital first, we like to say, but ensure we can meet that consumer where they want to be met, regardless of what they're doing time, you know, time of day, day or night. Now, conceptually for a lot of, well, I'll just use myself because I won't, I won't pretend anyone's as dumb as me, but I will just say myself, you know, when I think about the payments transacting, you know, every time I think to myself, hey, the future, they can't possibly change that much. Because I remember for a couple of years, I was go to CES and be like, ah, this, everything's just like a little bit better than the other. There's nothing really groundbreaking. And then so I'm wondering, because you guys can announce new news today about cryptocurrency and accepting crypto. I want you to talk about that. And I also want you to talk about how you envision NCR. Like, where are you guys pushing into for the future? Because, you know, I feel like we're already contactless. We're already QR code driven. So every innovation is going to be some type of passive experience it unlocks something. But I can't, you know, like I want to hear directly from you of how you guys envision, how do you personally, how does the company envision how transactions, payments, self-service, how is this going to evolve over the next, you know, five to 10 years? We can start with this idea that you can now pay via cryptocurrency at national gas stations. Uh, you guys just announced it, Sheets Gas Stations, and you have uh, started a partnership. Yeah. So uh, that's a, there's a lot packed in that question, Albert. But uh you know, at the end of the day, you're right. It's, it's an evolution, as you described, and it will be an evolution of, of digital first. Everything starting with a, a, a digital transaction that even if you finish it in person at a bank branch, at a restaurant uh, or at a, a retail store. But where we see that going is uh, I'll start with digital identity. So all of us as consumers, I believe, are going to get to a point where we have a digital identity. That digital identity is stored with us in some cryptographic wallet you know, that, that we have on our smartphone. So that I unlock it with my face or my thumbprint or my passcode. Mm -hmm. And that's going to then know who I am, where I live, who my bank is. It's going to have a lot of knowledge about me. So that's going to start driving everything from how I purchase to how I get taxed. Uh, when you start thinking about sales tax, everything's going to be driven off of that wallet or that digital identity, I would say. So that's where I think long-term at a super high level, um, how consumers are going to interact, regardless of wh whether or not you're going to a bank, a retail store, or a restaurant. So as you think about that contactless payment, you mentioned it, Albert, around QR codes, contactless, we're all going there. Yeah. 
it was accelerated greatly by COVID. We all know that. It was like a light switch flipped. And, you know, in the middle of March in the U.S., it had to happen yesterday. And so while this was on our roadmap, we had to greatly accelerate it. And so that's now here to stay. But it's then, okay, well, how am I paying off of that wallet? Am I still paying with a credit card? Uh, Have I loaded cash because I'm a cash-driven person into my wallet via an ATM or via a kiosk that sits in a retail store? That's an option. Or like you mentioned, we just announced today, do I allow myself to pay with Bitcoin or Ethereum or Litecoin or whatever cryptocurrency that I want at a fuel pump, like we announced with Sheets today, the first convenience fuel store to accept Bitcoin in the US. We're partnering with them and Flexa to enable that at the, at the store uh, and at the pump. It's, it's really a, an awesome feat. And it's one that I've had my mind around for about 18 months. And now it's a matter of you start, you're starting to see more restaurants, more retail stores want to embark on that. So our goal at NCR, allow consumers to interact any way they want, physically or digitally. We believe obviously more is gonna happen in the digital space. Allow them to pay in any form that they want, pay with cash, uh, pay with check. We still have check processing software that we run <laughs> in NCR, all the way down to paying with, you know, Bitcoin for fractions of a cent, right? So start thinking about micropayments. I want to start taking maybe your podcast, for example. If your podcast was for fee, I can start buying five minutes of, of our podcast at a micropayment every five minutes, and I can pay with that with cryptocurrency. So there's just so many ways that we can start to think about how consumers are going to want to interact. And our goal is to be able to be present in every one of those interactions and every one of those transactions that consumers do. So, you know, one of the things that I always think about with when it comes to these innovations in contactless, you know, I call it preemptive or passive experiences. So preemptive, passive meaning I don't actually have to do anything. So Amazon was pretty groundbreaking when they announced that their ghost stores were going to happen, that they were going to enable you to enter the store with your app you're going to scan in and then every product there was, I don't know, RFID. I don't know how they exactly were going to do it, but every product would you, as you took it, it would then know you had possession of it. And then when you walked out, all the products you walked out with, you just be charged for it. So that's like a past, very passive experience. I am confident that that experience was asked for by many other people besides Amazon. Is that something that you see happening in the near future? Yeah. I mean, we're working on it as well. And I know exactly how Amazon's done it we're taking a slightly different approach or one that hopefully is going to be more cost efficient, cost effective for our retail consumers. Mm -hmm. Let's be honest. Amazon has a lot of money. Yeah. (laughs) They can go build the fanciest, best, most expensive widget. You know, we've got to go to convenience stores like sheets or the come and goes or the Casey's of the world in the Midwest, which I know we were talking about earlier as well. uh, Several of us being from, uh, from the Midwest area. But then when you start going to restaurants, whether it be large restaurant chains like Chipotle or Buffalo Wild Wings or a small sandwich shop that is has two stores in the city of Atlanta where I'm at now, we need to be able to give software effectively and at a cost point that supports whatever model that, that customer is running with. So when you think about frictionless or, or used to call the Amazon Go, we call it frictionless. Mm-hmm. That's just the evolution of self-checkout. Yeah. So going back to using your words, 100% market penetration in the US for what consumers interact with, which I love, by the way. I might steal that, Albert, uh, and reference you. I think so. I mean, I, I really don't think someone, I really can't imagine someone has never used an NCR machine. It just, 
I would be very surprised if that was true. No, I, I, I love it. Um, we can't probably say that uh, with NCR without getting in trouble with the SEC or something, but uh, you can say it uh, and I can, I can reference you. So I, I love it. But think about self-checkout. So think about going into a, a grocery store and today you have your self-checkout. So we're on a journey. We're on an evolution. So then start thinking about small baskets using computer vision so that you can bring up a small basket, five, six things, maybe from a convenience store, put them on a, like a serving tray size and have computer vision, recognize all of those, give you your bill. And if you're a recognized uh, loyalty member, auto charge you or let you tap your phone to pay, again, pay with credit card, pay with debit or pay with crypto. And then, so the journey keeps going to, well, now if I have computer vision and facial recognition turned on for my loyalty members when I enter the store, I now know that it's Albert walking into the Publix in Wake Forest, or I know it's Tim walking into my local grocery store, who's an NCR customer in Atlanta, and it recognizes me facially, tracks me through my store, knows everything that I'm grabbing, gives me my basket real time on my phone as I'm walking around, and allows me to walk out. So this is the future of self-checkout, things that we're working on. And we actually prototyped this and had it as a demonstration at NRF, the big retail conference in New York, back in, uh, in 2019. So the technology needs to catch up a little bit, but uh, what Amazon Go is doing um, is cool and interesting, but we're going to do it in a way that's cost effective for our customers. And we're working with a number of retailers and a number of restaurants to leverage that frictionless experience for us as consumers when we're inter- interacting with their stores. What other things do you think are going to become frictionless? Because I think of my personal favorite frictionless experience right now is probably uh, toll roads because uh, I remember growing up because <laughs> I end up driving a lot. Yeah, I think we all remember being lined up at a toll road where the toll booth counter person was collecting the money or remember back in the day, we need to throw the coins into the giant bucket every now and then someone for sure missed the bucket, had to get out of their car, go scramble up their coins, throw them in. So easy passes made that super frictionless. What other things do you think are going to become frictionless? Because I, I view, I call it passive, uh, but like frictionless, whatever we want to call it, meaning like where I don't need active inputs. Because I've started to notice something about consumers. Now, this is just my observation. I don't have any, you know, large scale data analysis to prove it or anything. But I've noticed that people don't really want to interact with their apps that much also anymore. So I'll give you an example. Have you ever used a calorie counting app? Yep, I have. All right, that's it's a pain in the ass. Like nobody wants to type in blueberries one and a half ounces. Like you know, <laughs> yeah. If you eat and if you cook in any way, it's just oh my goodness, it's nightmarish. But I see technologies because like NCR might be at the forefront of this because where it's you now know how many products I bought. Like I mean, you could it could easily tell me how many if I if I eat my basket, it's like it'll be like this many calories over this many days is how much you ate. There's other things that I can think of, but. I would be curious for you, like how many things are going to become frictionless, passive, transact, no touch transaction? Like, because like that's that's the really the future, right? right? How many different machines and stuff could there potentially be to make this all easier? I mean, I, I think it's boundless opportunity. Right. So I'll go back to what I said earlier on digital identity. If my smartphone has my digital identity stored in it, a wallet uh, where I have forms of payment uh, that I can I can specify. If I'm paying for gas, I want to use my credit card or my debit card. If I'm buying groceries, use cryptocurrency. You know, I can go down my, have my preferences already set up. And then that digital identity, if you're using, you know, near field technology in all of these hardware devices, it'll start to recognize that you're there. And almost every device we interact with has a screen on it. So they're going to say, hey, Albert, welcome back. 
you've already got your form of payment. You know, the cashier or yourself are scanning your items. Have a good day. You'll get your receipt in your wallet. And then what I think is going to be even more awesome on top of that kind of frictionless, or you, you said, um, you know, enabling people to have a passive approach. Yeah. It's going to give you the ability to then itemize your receipts in that wallet. And you can then share that data back. So data is a, a really important. You know, I'm Albert. Uh, do I trust you? And at the end of the day, whatever you buy, I have a, a firm view. It's not NCR's data. It's probably not even the merchant's data, the retailer or the restaurant or the bank. It's your data. Yeah. So then uh, giving you the ability in that wallet to say, well, I just bought some chicken wings at the store that I'm going to barbecue up. I just bought some pasta ingredients I'm going to have a couple days out and I bought some coffee. But if you normally go to Dunkin' Donuts or Starbucks, both great customers of ours um, here at NCR every other day, and you want to share what kind of coffee you just bought at your Publix, you could do that so that then they start to know your preferences from your other buying behaviors. So this whole data aggregation around you as a consumer, the 360 view of what you do, and then allowing you to share that back with your other trusted providers of services that you want. And if you can start to gain value from that, that's going to gain your trust. And that's going to make it even more frictionless or even more passive as you start to interact with those other uh, those other companies. So that's where I think we're going on this notion of frictionless, passive, and then us as consumers sharing our data where we want to share it so that we get benefits from it in our daily lives. We need the insurance companies to have access to this because then I, I like, because I'm thinking about it. No, seriously. Like imagine you're shopping and you tend to eat, let's say plant-based and you're a healthy dude and you've got your digital identity. Your digital identity is certainly going to know you went to the gym or how often you go to the gym or how many, uh, you know, what kind of distance you cover on your feet. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it could report back to the insurance companies. Like, oh, it's worth insuring Tim at a lower premium because this guy really has healthy habits or, you know. Our producer, Aaron, he's got healthy habits. And if someone has bad habits, you know, like, could it possibly impact what other sectors? Because, you know, if you make this data available, certainly other sectors could. I mean, these like the what you buy is ultimately who you are, right? Like, that's what you do, like whether what you eat, what you do, your hobbies, your interests, like what you can't hide from what you buy. Right. Right. People can say whatever they want about themselves. But it's like at the end of the day, you say you eat healthy, but you ate, you know, you bought 65 McDonald's in a month. Like, yeah, you're not you're not a good eater. You know what I mean? Like you you can't hide what you actually buy. And if that's the case, and that is the case, what are the things that are going to be potentially unlocked if this transactional data, you know, like you said, is openly shared? I have as a consumer have the ability to share this with different. I mean, I feel like I could lower my services for my health insurance, but that's just off the top of my head. I'm curious what you think. I think it's everything. I think it's um, insurance. I was just joking about this actually in the office the other day. They're like, well, yeah, I'm not going to share that with my insurance company because uh, I, I order, you know, double double quarter pounders uh, every other day. <laughs> but I am going to share it back with my grocery store. So, that, so they're giving me discounts on burgers and cheese and buns. Right. So that I, so I'm, I'm monetizing it. Right. We were having that literally that exact same conversation probably two weeks ago in the office. I like to think about it as far as benefiting us as a consumer around real-time lending or real-time transactions. So when people are starting to think about their financial well-being, so now this is combining us as a consumer where we normally interact in a retail store or a restaurant. But if you're a banked individual, maybe even if you're not a banked individual, but you start thinking about what's happening with decentralized finance around cryptocurrencies and blockchain, I can start to leverage that data in ways that I can ask for loans from my financial institution or potentially non-financial institutions when I'm making larger purchases. 
It also gives me a way to, if I've got certain buying behaviors and buying patterns on my spending, I can save an extra $500 for a week in a certain configuration that I've done in my, in my checking account. But then I need that money back in my checking account so that I can do direct withdrawal debit transactions on my normal buying behavior patterns. So it really gives us a way as consumers or through our financial advisors, I think, to better plan. Because you know, who doesn't want to gain a little bit of VIG, a little bit of interest on the money we have sitting in our account if I know I'm not going to use it for two weeks? Well, if I can get a couple of percent in whatever I want my investments to look like for those two weeks, every penny adds up. So I just view it as a way for us to be much more high tech, if you will, and maybe that's a bad description, but much more advanced and high tech in how we interact in our daily lives and how we save money, how we spend money, uh, where that money is going, as well as you know, sharing my general practices so that when I walk into a store, they know a little bit more about me. I like that. I think a lot of people do. We've got to make sure it's a trustworthy system that's doing it so that more people buy into it. So from where you sit at NCR, you know, CTO, SVP, you're overseeing a lot of people, personnel, as well as product vision and future. How do you guys decide what to focus on? Because like, that's, that's the one thing that's both good. You can say it's good or bad about being at a big company is you have a huge customer base. That means a lot of people want things from you. Right. Yeah, yes, they do. Now, I think a lot of them want the same things. I think a lot of them want the same things, but there's probably some conflict in there as well. What's your philosophy on how to decide like what to what does invest your time and energy on? Because obviously, you know, you're the steward of your ship. You know, you don't want to be the one that picks the wrong path to go down or whatever the case may be. Like, how do you invest your time and energy? How do you choose which projects to work on? How do you know which customer requests to say, hey, that's one that we have to do versus like, hey, this is something we have to adjust we have to solve in a different way. Because like you said, it's a 130-year-old company made of acquisitions. So the different things you have installed at different places, they're all di- like, you know what I mean? Like the, the requests, yep. there's a lot of requests, I'm sure. So t- yeah. talk about how you manage that, the, you know, the customer side. Yeah. So we're inundated with requests every day, but ones that are no-brainers you have to do because it's table stakes to, to stay competitive in the industry Yeah. to ones that are maybe a little further out in left field that you're kind of scratching your head on what do they mean there? And then everything in between. Yeah. And that's actually part of the fun, fun part of my job is curating that uh, not only myself, but with my leadership team and other executive leaders in the company, but we run from a software perspective an agile approach, right? So we're literally in most of our software releases, we're putting out new releases of software for every one of those products, every one of those capabilities that I referenced earlier, every two weeks, probably maximum every month. Now, not every customer takes every release. We'd like them to get there because it allows us to keep all our customers together. Mm, That's another question to ask. Yeah. (laughs) So so, so, so we're constantly working through that in our prioritization. And so then we look at, okay, we break up our buckets of funding around table stakes, have to do to maintain compliance, maintain uh, regulatory uh, commitments, et cetera, et cetera. So that's kind of one bucket of funding. Another bucket of funding is table stakes on just competitive landscape in banking, retail, and hospitality. And so those are kind of two set buckets. We invest in those every year. We, you can see in our, in our annual report how much money we put to, to the investment of CapEx, uh, capitalized investment in our software there. And then you get into the discretionary side on innovation. So we set aside a specific budget for innovation. We set aside a specific budget for kind of I'll say next 12 to 18 month innovation, Mm. but then what's the next three year, five year, 10 year innovation look like? 
So a couple of years ago, when we started off in this digital identity side, I was thinking it's more like five years. Well, it's been two years and it's probably going to have a reality check in the next 12 to 18 months. So we've just seen so many things accelerate, but you know, we as a leadership team look at it day in and day out, week in and week out, we'll prioritize, we will pivot. So COVID classic example, we had to pivot some of our investment to say, it's now accelerating into contactless, into your view of QR codes and what you say, I, I, I like it, passive approach to customers checking out. We were working on it. We didn't have enough people on it. So we pivoted them. Let some other things that were maybe a lower priority during COVID um, languish and focus on where the market was shifting. So we've got to be responsive. We've got to be listening. And most importantly, we got to trial all this with our customers. So as we build something, I want customers giving us feedback early and often alpha code, beta code, early proof of concept before it goes live. Because we can't sit in a think tank and go work on something for 12 months and come out and go, ta-da, here it is. And then customers look at us like, okay, that's not what we needed. It's not what we wanted. So we, we have, you know, the Sheets example that we referenced earlier, Sheets and Flex and Us is a great example of, we've been working together as, as three, our customer Sheets, um, NCR, and our partner Flexa, for 12 months on making this work. So that's a little bit of insight into how we're doing it at NCR. So you mentioned something that's very, you know, potentially unique to your business in the fact that because you have so much legacy hardware that you have to support, I was thinking about this. You just made a comment about it depends if our customer accepts the release. So not only, so, so you have software supporting hardware, but you also have customers who can decline the update. So now you have to keep servicing you know, whatever version they're on. So like the version systems, like how do you guys manage like your software pushes? You know, this feels like, this is, feels like a, probably more complicated than you want it to be. But like, you know, I, I was thinking about like, if I have a terminal, if I, if I'm a, you know, just think about one shopping plaza, one shopping plaza could all be on different versions of different hardware, different software things. Just, the, you know, a simple task of updating a block could be like, okay, well they get a, they get a point one, they get a point two. <laughs> You know, like it, it would be pretty insane. How do you guys go about doing that? Do you do you have uh, systems that have full teams just to roll out, deploy code? How do you guys do it? Yeah, we do. We have software engineering teams that focus on what we call continuous engineering for products that yeah. are a little bit longer in the tooth, a little bit older, but our customers are still relying upon. We have field services teams. So we got field engineers and professional services teams that are out working with our customers day in and day out because then they've built products on top of that as well, right? So it's not only our solution, it's the products they integrate on top of our, our, our APIs yeah. into that, I'll say that older class of software. Now, I mentioned earlier that movement to us being a platform company, that movement to us being a, a cloud-based platform company, customers are now starting to realize just like the sales forces of the world or the work days of the world or things they would get from Google or Microsoft or Amazon, you just get the update. Yeah. So our newer software platforms are focused that way. Yeah. So we've got a manageability level into how we deploy and deliver software over the wire electronically. It happens at the restaurant, at the retail store, at the ATM overnight when no one's using it. And, you know, they stay up to date. So being a 135 year old company, that transformation is hard, right? I mean, that, that's, yeah. I, I get, I get my hand in, a lot of the cool stuff, like crypto is awesome. It, 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 you know, it's where I spend a fair bit of time thinking about the future, but then I've got to make sure we don't leave any customers behind. So then it's a migration path on how do I get a customer that's using, you know, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10-year-old technology to be enabled to use new crypto? Well, that's all through APIs. So we take a very modern API-driven approach, and actually Sheets is a great example. 
they're using software that's that was founded 15 years ago. We've kept them up to date largely once a year with that package. And that's now able to use cryptocurrency as a settlement form at payment. So fascinating. It's a challenge. It's one I love. I think it's one my team loves because it keeps us entrenched in reality of here and now today, but also looking where the future is going on the innovation side. So I'm picturing, by the way, I know that, you know, this is just my interpretation of your story in microcosm, my interpretation of you going from meeting to meeting, like, all right, so I got this customer, this is their setup. And you're like, dang it, <laughs> figuring out a solution for that. Okay. That's solved. Next one's new solution. And then at the end of the day, someone's like, all right, now we need you to create something new, Tim, for me. <laughs> like, kind yeah. of like Your description is actually very accurate. And I'm fortunate that um, I've got a great team that has that exact same day uh, at each at each industry level. So a, a leader of retail, leader of hospitality, et cetera. And then their team is below them. So that's just what we do. And you know, I, it excites us because we see what our company is doing as NCR. Most importantly, we see what our customers are able to do because of what we're building, the transformation that our customers are able to go on. And that's the most satisfying thing, uh, at least from where I sit. Tim. It was awesome having you on the show, sharing some of what you're up to and at NCR, what NCR is up to. But now it's time for the lightning round. The lightning round is brought to you by the Salesforce platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Tim, this is where we ask you questions about your life outside of work so our audience can get to know you a little better. Tim, are you ready? I'm ready, Albert. All right. You are without a doubt the first person, maybe not the last, the first person on our show that went to South Dakota State University and grew up on a farm in South Dakota. Is that accurate? That is accurate. I grew up on a small dairy farm, milk cows with my parents and my sisters uh, until I went off to college at South Dakota State University, home of the Jackrabbits, and uh, got a mechanical engineering degree there in, in little old Brookings, South Dakota. When was the first time you knew you were going to go into tech? Probably when I was 14, uh, I picked up my first computer programming class in high school. I was a, a eighth grader, I think, at the time. And uh, one of our uh, professors allowed us to kind of dabble in, in some computer programming classes. I loved it. And then my dad looked at me and he goes, you're going to use your brain, not your back. So you're going to school. And um, kind of from those two things, when I was about 14 years old, it propelled me into tech. Let me ask you a question. Did you receive any bias after you graduated? Did you feel like people were looking at you differently because you weren't from one of like the prime schools or whatever, like an Ivy League school? Did you feel any of that bias? You know, I didn't feel the bias, probably primarily because I was an intern at IBM. And then I, I kept my internship going full time during school and allowed my my work efforts to speak for themselves. But I always wondered about that early in my career. I didn't come from a, a big university. You know, you're in the RTP area. There's tons of, of uh, computer science degrees there. Yeah. And I was living in RTP, working at IBM at the time. And so you wonder about it. But fortunately for me, I wasn't. And I'm trying to give that back actually through an endowed scholarship. I just, just launched at SDSU so that kids from the Midwest, kids from South Dakota, Minnesota that go to Brookings, South Dakota can realize you can actually, you know, go and do whatever it is you want to do if you get a good degree and you work hard. Yeah. Talk a little bit about that scholarship fund. What are, the, what are you looking for? What are your qualifications and what are you looking to support? What kind of kids are you looking to support? Yeah. So we're looking to support uh, Midwestern, born and raised. So South Dakota, Iowa, Minnesota, North Dakota, computer science majors at South Dakota State. That's an endowed scholarship. So every year a sophomore uh, will get the scholarship and it'll be perpetual until they graduate along, as long as they keep up their good grades. 
And then I'm going to, when I meet them, encourage them to get an internship early, make sure that they understand kind of what we believe as, as me now being a CTO at a fortune 500 company and what other technology companies are looking for, they're looking for experiences. They're looking for, do you have the thought skills, the, the thought provoking skills to really solve problems? And you get that through doing not only your classwork at a university, but also, uh, you know, in practice, in industry, through internships. Yeah, I tell my kids the same things. Like, you're better off doing something hard that you have no clue how to do than it is to just toil around school saying you learn things. Like, yo, go build something and see if you can build something that's hard to build that you have no clue how to build. They're like, I don't get it. (laughs) I mean, my kids are 12, too. (laughs) (laughs) They'll they'll get it. Put them on some scripting languages and uh, give them some challenges and they'll be uh, computer science (laughs) wizards before you know it. Now, you're also an avid sports fan. What sport is your preferred sport? You know, it's hard to pick a preferred sport because I love them all so much. If I had to pick one, it would probably be baseball. I'm a diehard Kansas City Royals fan. You know, my dad loved baseball growing up. So if I had to pick one, it'd be baseball. But I love all major sporting events, the Olympics, the World Cup, you name it. I enjoy watching it. I've even been to the India Premier League cricket final in Hyderabad a couple of years ago. So, you know, I just love sports all, all over the world. Now, cricket's pretty intense because there's no ending to it. Well, there doesn't have to. Like, they go on for days. Like, you, <laughs> did you know what you were in for? It? And did the cricket match you go to end up lasting more than, let's say, four hours? <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, there's different types of cricket matches. This one was a 2020. So um, it was it was guaranteed to be done in three to four hours. But I have been to a full day of a five-day test match, actually a couple days of it, in Australia as well. So, you know, it's just a good time to hang out and watch some sports. All right. One more question for you. What, so outside of work, let's go outside of work. What do you like to do for fun? What's some, what are some of your hobbies? And we know you like watching sports. Anything, any uh, hobbies that you have that outside of watching sports? So I love to travel and I'm a, a thrill seeker. So I spent a lot of time in South America. My favorite city in the world is Rio. I'm actually in Turks and Caicos today. I'm doing this podcast with you on my vacation or quasi vacation working from the beach. So diving, snorkeling, skydiving mountain hiking, uh, and a little rock climbing, anything that I can do that gets me in an airplane to see a new country, see a new city, see a new part of the world, um, is what I love to do. And, and what motivates me, excites me outside of work. All right. I got to ask this question then, cause it's actually one of my fears. Have you ever gone, uh, see like what, what I don't, I forget what it's called, but basically diving in underwater caves. Have you done that before? I have done diving into small caves. I've never done anything below 70 feet, uh, or maybe 80 feet. So I've not done the deep dives, which might be what you're referencing, but I've done a, a couple of cave dives down off the coast of Brazil, uh, as well as here in the, uh, in the Caribbean, but uh, never anything super deep yet. That's still on my list. It's also on my list to go above 20,000 feet. I got, I got to find a peak to summit yet over 20,000 feet. I haven't done that yet. Man. All right. So you are a real thrill seeker. Let me tell you something. I've never been in a cave of any type. I don't even go into caves above land. Cause like my biggest fear ever is a cave in. Like I don't, and even when I see a cave like on a hike, I'm like, people like my, my kids like, let's go in it. I'm like, nah, I'm not going in that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't mess with that. Tim, it was awesome having you on the show. Thanks for sharing your love of adventure. Thanks for sharing the innovation that's happening at NCR. I think we all take it for granted when we go to a store and we transact. We just think that this is, you know, you don't think of it as an innovative space, but hearing you talk about all the different ways we're going to be able to transact in the future and how NCR's products and services are now, you know, I, would, I don't know what to call it, but they're no longer just confined to your existing hardware. It's going to the cloud where other services are going to be able to tap into it. It's pretty exciting the way you envision the future. Yeah, it was awesome to be here, Albert. Thanks for the time. And, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to 
uh, listen to more of your podcasts, hearing who else you have on, and uh, continue to share the NCR story. So maybe I can be back someday uh, soon as well. Absolutely. Thanks for joining us. Cheers. Cheers.